I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. These midweek extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep with a particular topic, or maybe to go deep with a particular person. And that's the case of in today's program. We have on the show Dr. Russell Moore. Russell Moore needs little introduction to evangelicals who follow the news. He was the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention for eight years, and in that role commented in all the major media outlets of our country and even around the world on important topics. He had a public break with the SBC within the past year, and he is now the public theologian at Christianity Today and director of Christianity Today's Public Theology Project. I wanted to have him on the program today because of an article that he wrote for Plow Quarterly. It's called Integrity and the Future of the Church. The article is based on a lecture he gave at the Plow Writers Weekend in August up in New York State. The article is online and I'll link to it in the show notes. Dr. Moore, first of all, welcome to the program. Uh, it's been uh, really great to kind of see your trajectory in the last few months now with Christianity Today. Uh, how's it going over there? Uh, going really well. I'm uh, really excited about this time. Well, you know, I have a bias maybe for World Magazine, whatever it comes to the Christianity Today World Magazine wars, if you will. But but the reality is, I think, um, you know, both publications are co-laborers in many ways, and the fields are white unto harvest, and we need, uh, I think, more of what both World and Christianity Today, and I may say now— um, Ministry Watch is doing as well. So I uh, appreciate what you're doing and what Tim Dalrymple and the whole team over there at Christianity Today is doing. And um, thanks for being on the program. You know, the reason that I wanted to have you on the program today um, was, uh, I guess, several reasons. But number one, you wrote an article on uh, on a, yet another magazine that is becoming one of my favorites, uh, Plow Quarterly. I've been reading it for a couple of years now and am just always nourished by it. You wrote an article called Integrity and the Future of the Church. And of course, here at Ministry Watch, that is, uh, you know, kind of in the center of our bullseye. We are concerned about integrity and the church. Um, first of all, what motivated you to write this article? What was, what was sort of the presenting um, issue here? Well, it came out of a, a talk that I gave uh, at the Plow Conference uh, in upstate New York, and it was motivated really by the constant uh, conversations that I find myself having uh, with people really across the, the spectrum. Some people in very small churches, some people in uh, coming out of mega churches, uh, people on college campuses. And it's the same, uh, the same sort of message coming from people who haven't left the faith, don't want to leave the faith. They love Jesus, but they're in this—they're uh, in this crisis of what they see going on in the church around them, and so they're—they're they're tempted towards cynicism. And I think cynicism is one of the great dangers uh, that we face going into the next generation. So that was—it uh, was just endless uh, conversations uh, having one, one happening one right after the other that really motivated the article. 
Well, and you talk about a, a Catholic friend um, that, um, you know, I, and you say in the story that you're not sure whether it was, you know, the most recent clergy sex scandal or maybe some other issue. But uh, she observed that, you know, she's not losing her faith, but she feels like she's losing her church. And, I th- and you mentioned that a lot of evangelicals are uh, feeling that right now. And you say that one of the causes, and this is, this is what really captured my attention, and I want you to say more about Dr. Moore is that is that it's not that they don't believe um, what what the Bible teaches that in many ways they're deeply committed to it but they have come to question whether the church itself believes those things first of all am I accurately assess um, giving your position there on that and can you say more about it Yes, I think we prepared for a long time uh, to deal with secularization, uh, which is uh, a next generation that would find it uh, hard to believe the miracles of Scripture. And so we built a lot of apologetics to answer that. We were we were ready for a generation like generations before who would just find the moral demands uh, of, of Scripture, particularly the sexual moral demands, too burdensome and would walk away. But that's, uh, you know, that exists, of course, and it does in every generation, but that's not the primary problem. The, the primary problem right now are uh, people who, who are uh, able to believe the Mariah. They believe Jesus is raised from the dead. Uh, they want to follow him in discipleship. But what they see is the fear that Christianity is just a means to an end. Um, and, and that may be a political end. It might be a cultural end. It might be an economic end. It might be a just keeping people in power uh, end. But that's what they've seen. And, and what we have to admit is that uh, they're not crazy. They have lots of evidence to believe that, which is why what we have to do is to acknowledge the truth of that and show a different kind of Christianity that's really rooted in historic, apostolic, uh, gospel-rooted Christianity. And that's a Christianity that transforms and changes not just people, but institutions, especially churches. Well, uh, I'm going to probably... do something I shouldn't do, and that is name that name which must not be named, and that is uh, Donald Trump. And, um, you know, I think the thing that uh, that really caused me some disquiet uh, in, I think it was probably the 2016 election, was not that people uh, voted for Donald Trump, um, because, you know, when you considered the, the alternatives, you know, you could see that, you know, how some people would rationally make that um, decision if they cared about abortion, if they cared about same-sex marriage, if they cared about some of the things that Christians care about. You had one candidate who was actively antagonistic towards the Christian position on those issues, and one that maybe you didn't fully trust him, but at least he was saying the right words. And so, you know, but but I, so I, I didn't begrudge the political position. I think what really caused me real disquiet, Dr. Moore, and I'm wondering what you thought of, think about this, is that when I saw many Christian leaders uh, willing to jettison core parts of Christian theology in order to rationalize their decision, I, one quick example would be when Donald Trump was asked um, 
whether he ever had done anything that he needed to repent of. And he, you know, famously said on national television that he had not done anything that he needed to repent of. And while at the same time you had many Christian leaders, uh, well-known evangelical leaders were saying that, you know, Donald Trump had made a profession of faith in Christ. And with, without judging, you know, Donald Trump's spiritual condition, I would have to say, how as a Christian theologian you can say someone is a Christian who has never repented of his sin? It seems to me that that was a, you know, that that, that they were willing to set aside what in seems to me is is not an incidental but an essential Christian doctrine. Um, I'm wondering how what I just said hits you and and whether you think that that's um, a problem. Yeah, I mean, I think what what worried me the most in 2016 uh, is, again, as you said, not that people were voting one way or voting another, uh, but it was that I didn't believe the rhetoric of lesser of two evils would hold. Uh, and indeed, it didn't. Uh, it, it didn't take us very long at all to see that that didn't uh, hold. And, and that's not uh, that's not necessarily Donald Trump's fault. Uh, it's we live in the sort of environment where politics is such a, a badge of identity that people are looking for mascots to adopt and they follow them. Uh, wholeheartedly. And we have seen that over the past five years. And so we really didn't have a lot of people who would say, well, I'm really conflicted here. Uh, I'm voting for Donald Trump, despite the fact that I think his character is really bad. And I'm going to be on the forefront of calling out the Stormy Daniels uh, scandal or the the racially charged rhetoric or uh, these sorts of things and say we're dealing with a lesser of two evils. But I recognize we're dealing with an evil that didn't happen largely. There, there mm -hmm. were some people, but largely that didn't happen. And that's that's one of the problems. And it's a problem. Again, even if you take Donald Trump off the table, when people are are thinking that Christianity is really just a way to get you to uh, political mobilization and that you're willing to just like any other institution to uh, sacrifice uh, virtually everything else to get there. That's what then causes a crisis that can work um, in, in terms of any candidate, any movement, but especially in these sorts of cult of personality times uh, in which we live. And, and that's why I think we, we need evangelical Christians who will say um, the way of Jesus is is not a, a means to an end. It is the end. Uh, and, and I think that that's not being said forcefully enough right now. Well, I think you've um, brought a good corrective to my introduction of Donald Trump that it's not it really isn't about Donald Trump. And it's not even really about uh, integrity of our political leaders. But in but the real issue, the core issue, it seems to me, uh, and what I was hoping to get at, but maybe did it a little bit sloppily or imprecisely, is the integrity of leaders in the church, that it, it should be the leader, the integrity of leaders in the church that, that we should be most concerned about. And if I could use that to pivot in our conversation just just a little bit, Dr. Moore. Um, so what, therefore, how now shall we live? I mean, uh, you know, as, um, 
as Christians in a culture that um, in which we have no natural home politically, uh, that in some ways we are pilgrims and strangers, as as in as in reality we always are, but we're just maybe not always as aware of it at sometimes as we are in others. Um, what should we do? Uh, how can we live lives of integrity uh, in a in a beautiful but broken world? Well, I think the first thing that we need to do is to look for, uh, I I almost, I I sort of tongue in cheek said the other day, uh, I would love to see a revival of evangelical hypocrisy. And of course, I was joking uh, because nobody wants to see hypocrisy. But what I meant was, at least when we had hypocrisy, what we had were people who were, uh, you know, the old cliche, giving uh, giving a compliment to the compliment that vice gives to, to virtue. Now we right. don't even really have the hypocrisy because so much of what takes place uh, is th- there can be often in, in Christian life a dismissal of even the words of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there can be these these double standards where we look and we see it's not that we have someone uh, who's suddenly revealed to have been a fraud. That happens sometimes. But uh, most of the time right now, we're seeing people who have been telling us in church leadership who they are over and over and over again for years, and no one says anything and no one does anything because those people are useful in terms of their power. That is deadly dangerous, I think, for the, the witness of the church. And so having a right set of priorities where we seek the, the kingdom first, uh, we, we see the integrity of the church as being second, and everything else flowing out of that is, is the way that we turn this around. So I don't think it's so much we need to have a battle for the, the a war for the soul of the church and see who wins and, and who doesn't. I think instead, just like every other time, people who see the problem need to start living a different way. Hmm. And uh, and showing a different model, because there are a lot of people who the sort of despair they feel right now is because they say there is no other model. And maybe maybe they didn't grow up in the kind of church that I grew up in where I saw a lot of problems, but I also saw genuine, authentic uh, new birth and discipleship. They haven't seen that up close uh, that that can lead to a to a real crisis. Yeah. Well, th- th- let's just stipulate for the record uh, that hypocrisy is wrong. G- even Jesus himself called it out. But but there is I don't know if, what the right word is, but a kind of hypocrisy we will say, where um, it, it, you know which which occurs when we fall short of our aspirations. In other words, it's not that we are actively. Re- um, rejecting, um, you know, the standards, but we just fall short of them. Hypocrisy is always awful for the hypocrite. Uh, but what we're seeing right now is is not a hiddenness from those to whom the hypocrite is accountable. We're seeing often a revelation that just isn't taken seriously. Yeah. And so that's a crisis, not only for those who are fraudulently using the name of Jesus, but for the rest of us who have come to be accustomed to that. And who don't even flinch when we see uh, the sort of character in leadership that's obviously in trouble. Dr. Moore, one of the aspects of your article that I found most nourishing and most helpful was your recounting your um, exegesis, if you will, of the story of Hezekiah. Could you briefly tell that story, uh, that biblical story of Hezekiah, and what you think it has to offer us today in this current cultural and political moment? 
Yes, Hezekiah, a, a, a king who um, the, the problem was that he uh, started to rely on foreign power uh, in terms of uh, military power, wealth, uh, and, and so forth, making these sorts of alliances based on all of those things. He was called out by the prophet Isaiah. What's interesting to me is the way that Hezekiah responded, because the prophet said, your sons in the future are going to face the judgment of God for this. And Hezekiah said, the word of the Lord is good because he thought to himself, the scripture says, why not if I have peace and security in my days? And I think that's a real tendency in any generation to think, um, what, what difference does it make? What happens with our children or our, our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren to come as long as we have um, the, the church that we want right now in terms of uh, access, influence? Power. I mean, you can even see it in, uh, I've seen it in tiny uh, churches uh, where they're they're making um, that they refuse to reach out to the college students or others around them. And the congregation says, we really don't care if we die. We just want things to be the way they always have been. That's uh, that's a big problem really across the spectrum right now. So the moral of the story, therefore, is don't forget what God has done. One of the things that Hezekiah had done is he had forgotten that God had been faithful to him, that God had even healed him physically at, what, at, at one point in his past. And uh, he had forgotten what God had done. Uh, and also he, uh, because he had forgotten, because he was was uh, choosing not to trust in God's promises, he was willing to make alliances with people who ultimately corrupted him and his nation and his legacy. Is that is that a fair assessment? That, that's a fair assessment. And it's people who had not forgotten what had happened uh, to him because they were coming into the kingdom to find out uh, how did this happen, that this person was was healed. So they're treating it as though it's Hezekiah's own personal power. And the problem is Hezekiah starts to treat it that way too. Hmm. Uh, well, and starts to treat his uh, his uh, armories full of uh, weapons and his treasuries full of gold as though these are where he can find his security. And it's not. So that brings us full circle, really, to the point that we started with is that a lot of people are leaving the church, not because they don't believe in the power of Jesus and the power even of, you know, what the church stands for and has stood for over the centuries, but because um, they don't think we believe in it anymore. Yeah. And I think even when you get to the intellectual uh, sort of inability to believe, what I'm finding is that's not usually starting with, I can't believe that um, that the tomb was empty. Mm -hmm. It's usually starting with, I can't believe that the new birth is real. Because if if the new birth is real, then we ought to be seeing something different than what we're seeing. That leads to a kind of cynicism. And then ultimately, of course, uh, that can lead to unbelief. That doesn't give people an excuse uh, to disbelieve, but it's kind of as Jesus says, but woe to him. Uh, who causes such things, or as the Apostle Paul says, uh, those who cause the nations to blaspheme uh, within the, the body of Christ and within the people of God, that, that then becomes our burden too. Yeah. Well, I, pr- I appreciate that word. It's almost as if the world is saying to us, you say this Jesus you believe um, transforms. So where's the transformation? 
they're looking for the transformational. They're looking for that new birth. They're looking for the new creature in us and not seeing it. It's, it's not that they don't want to see it. It's not that they don't want to believe in Jesus. It's that they don't see that power in us. Is, is, is that accurate? I think in a different way that maybe in previous generations, uh, what people expected was perfection uh, from uh, Christians. And so they would point out that Christians are sinners and we would have to come back and say that's not what uh, Christianity is about. The problem is right now, it's not just that they see us falling from our moral ideals. They don't see us repenting. Uh, you know, that, 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 that's what the, the pattern is, is that we're sinners and we're sinners who repent. And that's what they're not seeing. They're seeing sinners who want to cover up and to hide and to uh, justify. And and that's that's anyone can see, even if they just read a page uh, of the Bible, Old or New Testaments, that that's not what Christianity is. Right. Well, you say uh, we got to bring this conversation to a close, Dr. Moore, but you write, uh, will the church die? No, the church moves out into the future, not on the strength of its culture or its institutions, but because of the promise of Jesus at Caesarea Philippi. And for those that don't remember that, it is that promise was to Peter that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So I take that, Dr. Moore, uh, to mean to suggest that you ultimately are an optimist, that you've read the last page of the book, you know, God wins, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But in the meantime, in the in time that we are living in right now, um, we've, we've got to watch what we say and watch what we do. Is that fair? Yeah, look at the book of Revelation. It, it, the last page ends with the church coming down as a bride adorned for her husband, the new Jerusalem. But it starts with the warning that any church can lose its lampstand. And so the church, capital C, will uh, will triumph. But that doesn't mean that any particular church uh, will survive. And that's sort of the warning that I think ought to come to the American church or the evangelical wing of the church right now is that you cannot uh, say, well, because of Caesarea Philippi, uh, we're invulnerable. The, the church is invulnerable uh, to that. Jesus is invulnerable, but we are very vulnerable to falling. Well, Dr. Russell Moore, thank you so much for the article uh, in Plow Quarterly. Uh, the article, by the way, for those of you who are interested, is called Integrity and the Future of the Church. Uh, I found it to be very nourishing, as I have found this conversation to be nourishing as well. So thank you very much for being on the program. Well, thank you, and thank you for your work with Ministry Watch, doing indispensable uh, good service for the cause of the body of Christ. You've been listening in on my conversation with Dr. Russell Moore. He's the public theologian at Christianity Today and director of Christianity Today's Public Theology Project. We discussed his new article, Integrity and the Future of the Church, which is in the most recent issue of Plow Quarterly. As I said earlier, I'll have a link to that article in the show notes. Now, before we go, a quick reminder that this show exists because of the generosity of readers and listeners like you. We take no money from the ministries we cover. There's no advertising on our website. We are completely listener and reader funded. If you'd like to make a donation to Ministry Watch to help support this program, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. And if money's a little tight right now, 
no worries. I get it. In fact, I've been there a time or two myself. But you can still help the program. Just rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the higher we rank with search engines. And that means other people can find us more easily. Rating us just takes a couple of seconds and it doesn't cost you a dime. It's free, easy, and let me add, important way you can support the Ministry Watch podcast. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you.